celebrated yesterday, or yesterday, earlier, it's, it's Valentine's Day, so I'm going to have a unique message this morning. I'm going to talk about the Olympics, life, religion, and Valentine's Day. How's that for a subject, huh? <laughs> now, the one thing that all these things have in common is pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. That's the one thing they have in common. Now, the Winter Olympics, they started Friday, and if you watch the, the Olympics opening ceremony and that, and I, whether you like to watch the Olympics, I do. I like to watch the Olympics, especially, of course, the USA people when they're, when they're performing. I like that. I always record it and fast-forward through it. It's amazing how fast you can go through stuff without all them commercials and all that other stuff. They did speed skating yesterday or last night, and there was every, the two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute race, and then they have a two-minute commercial. So I went through two and a half hours and about 45 minutes or something <laughs> of this whole evening. And the amazing thing about the, uh, the Olympics is that the people that are in the, the athlete, athletes that are in there, there's an unsurmountable amount of pressure that they go through to go for the gold. And man, it's really hard for them. You know, they get up and they, and they spend four years of their life, at least four years of their life, preparing for two weeks of competition. Man, that's a lot, lot of work prepared into two weeks. Or in some per people, it's only like three things that they do, three races that they perform in. And four years for three races. Man, I'll tell you, that's a lot of work and discipline. And then you mess up just one little time, and it's over. Your dreams are crushed. Everything's over. Your four years are gone. Last night in speed skating, he was watching the American, and he was coming around the corner there. And some guy got a little close to him, and he nudged him. About knocked him over, and so when he went like this, he went up and hit, knocked over the guy in front of him, and guess which one they disqualified? Our guy. So I wasn't happy about that. I was yelling, what's the matter with you? You guys, look at that tape again. Because they figured because the guy was pushed, he should be allowed to go on to the finals. I thought, well, man, somebody pushed him. Where's that push at? It's kind of like in basketball. No one sees the first, the first foul. It's always second one, or football, I mean. So anyway, I wasn't happy about that. But these people that, man, they do everything they can for those four years. They, they for, don't eat the foods they like. Now, that would be hard for me. How would you like to go for four years without chocolate? Wow, that'd be hard. <laughs> four years without whatever it is that your favorite dish is. I wouldn't like that. I like my food too much. I don't make a very good Olympian because I don't know whether I could do that. And just struggle. You get up early in the morning, and when, you know, these, these younger athletes that go to school, they still have to go to school, too. So they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they practice for two or three hours, and then they go to school, and then they come home, and they practice some more two or three hours, and then they do their homework. Man, that's a lot of work. We can't even have a hard time getting our kids just to do the, their homework on a regular scale, don't we? Get in there and sit down, do your half hours worth of homework, and then you can watch TV or you can play your video games. And they throw a fit. Man, I can't imagine all the discipline that these athletes go through. And their families, the pressure from their families, man, the pressure from their families, because if you have ever put someone through the Olympics, you know that these families really go through a lot. It isn't just the athlete that goes through all this stuff. It's the family in general. Some families, they move, move the, the athlete and the mother to a certain area while they're, wherever it is they're training. And they hardly ever see each other during this four years of training and everything or the two years or whatever it is to train for these Olympics. 
I wouldn't like that. My kid wouldn't go because I ain't going leaving my husband for a couple years. Forget that. So anyway, they put, go through all this and all the pressure from their family and on their friends and, and our nation. Man, our nation, man, we have put pressure on these athletes, don't we? Because we want to win more gold medals than anybody else. So there's all kinds of pressure on them. And it's not just a little gold medal. I mean, sure, it's great to be the best in the world, but there's monetary value attached to it too. They say that a gold medal is worth a million dollars. Wow, that's a lot of money. It's probably worth more than that now, but a minimum of a million dollars to any American athlete that gets one. So that's incentive a lot. You know, four years of work, for that's $250,000 a year. That's pretty good wages for four years. I'll do that for four years. You know, wouldn't you be willing to do that for four years, $250,000 a year, train six to eight hours a day? Okay. I don't like my job either, so training couldn't be any worse. <laughs> so they do that, and a million bucks for this, this gold medal. Can you imagine how much money Michael Phelps got last Olympics, the Summer Olympics? Would he get eight gold medals or nine? I don't know what it was, and a silver or whatever it was he got. Man, can you imagine how much money he made over that? Wow, he was awesome. I don't know whether you watched that or not, but man, the pressure that was on him to win more gold medals than anybody else had ever done. Wow, can you imagine the pressure? Man, I felt the pressure, and I was just watching. Every race he won as he got closer to that, that record-setting moment of that last gold medal to be the best athlete, the best swimmer that ever lived. Man, can you imagine the pressure that was on him with every race? Wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but it isn't just the Olympics that has pressure involved in it. Life in general has pressure, doesn't it? Man, every day of our life, we saw, we're under pressure. If you're going to school, you have pressure to go to school and get good grades, to be popular, to be involved in sports, all kinds of things you have pressure doing if you're in school. I don't know whether you reward your kids with a dollar for an A or what is it, five, ten, probably $10 for an A now. I don't know what it is now. And $5 for a B. Don't get nothing for a C. You have to give me money if you get a D. <laughs> If you get an F, you're grounded. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure on kids in school. There's a pressure in the workplace, isn't there? Pressure to be the best employee that's there because you want that promotion. You want the one, you want that promotion they're offering because it has more money. You have pressure to make more money. You have all kinds of pressure just to keep your job, especially in this economy, don't you? Man, I'm, it's a hard situation. Man, worrying about your job and the pressure of, of, of everything that goes with that. Women are under the pressure to be a good wife and a mother and still balance a career. That's a lot of pressure that women go through. And yet men have a lot of pressure too. There's, they're the breadwinners. They're the ones that's got to go out there and, and work for their families to put food on the table. And then with this sex-crazed society we live in, there's so much pressure and so much pornography and so much stuff going on, there's pressure upon them just to remain pure. Man, you can't even watch a commercial anymore without sex being right there, right there in front of your face all the time. And it's so easy to get a hold of. So you have the pressure not to allow this to make you impure in your thoughts and especially in your actions. So life has a lot of pressures. And all this pressure leads some people to do, to get involved in drugs and alcohol because they can't deal with the pressure of life. And they think this is a way of escape. So they do drugs and they drink alcohol thinking this is going to relieve that pressure. This is going to make their life better. But in reality, all it does is provide more stress on their life. 
and anxiety. And the, and the circle just continues, doesn't it? Pressure, pressure, pressure. I used to tell my granddaughter, actually, I still tell her that. I told her that when I was up there visiting uh, just this last month. Life's hard, and then you die. <laughs> now, that's, that's the reality of life. But hopefully, if you're a Christian, dying is the best part of your life <laughs> because it'll get better then. So I'm excited about that aspect of it. But life has pressure placed upon us at every turn that we have. Then we come to Valentine's Day. Now, it has its own pressures altogether. Man, I'll tell you, there's the pressure. How many husbands and wives felt the pressure to find the right card, buy the right gift, or man, just remembering it. Or you get there late, and around here, the slim pickings. <laughs> In those instances, fellas, make a card. It's cheaper. You save the two bucks, and it'll mean a lot more. <laughs> so if you forgot to buy your wife a card, or wives, if you forgot to give your husband one, make one. It'll work. Amazing what those can do. And so there's pressure, and millions lined up last night or Friday night, try, or Saturday night, trying to find that card. And the pressure, pressure, pressure to be able to buy that right gift, or just pressure to be able to afford to buy anything in this economy. Now, that's it. A couple bucks doesn't seem like a lot, but if you don't have a lot, a couple bucks is a lot of money. So maybe you better make one, <laughs> and it'll be better anyway. So... There's all kinds of pressure. Whether you have a, a sweetheart or not, there's pressure. Kids at school, they have the pressure. They make all those Valentines, and they have to give them to everyone in their class. Don't they? I don't know whether they, do they still do that. I don't know whether they still do that or not. It's been a long time since I was in school, longer than I can remember, hardly. <laughs> but we used to do that. And there's pressure, and you think, even though everybody's required to, to give every student one, there's the pressure, well, maybe somebody won't give you one when you're a kid. That's hard on a kid. So it's hard. Valentine has pressure. A single lady wrote, there's one thing worse than not having a boyfriend on Valentine's Day, and that is actually having one. You see, single women without a romantic interest on this day of love are only miserable for one flowerless day, a misery usually conquered by large quantities of after-holiday half-priced Valentine's candy. I buy that, and even though I'm not depressed, I just have this, ugh, I can't resist it. But when you do have someone special in your life, you have a sleep-depriving, nail-biting decision with relationships making or breaking ramifications ahead, what to give. She goes on to talk about how males have it easy. Red rose love, yellow rose friendship, any chocolate, and you're right up there with Brad Pitt and George Clooney. What do you give a guy, she cries. His favorite music CD, does that say you're cute? Or a power saw, I'm crazy about you? <laughs> She ended up buying boxer shorts with a glow-in-the-dark hearts because her guy collects funny boxer shorts. Well, on Valentine's Eve, she casually mentioned her great idea to some of her Christian friends. First mistake. At work, they responded with raised eyebrows. But that's underwear, and went on to explain it may communicate a meeting they didn't want to get into. The last thing she wanted to do is communicate something suggestive, so she bought red food, Strawberry spaghetti sauce, Kool-Aid, cherry Kool-Aid, strawberry Pop-Tarts, apples, picante sauce, reasons what bachelor doesn't like food. But she knew all the whole while that this was the stupidest move that she's ever done. That's pressure, isn't it? Men, like I said, guys, you have it made. Hey, man, get a flower or whatever. Hey, it's okay. 
we have, we don't, we're not so lucky. So we have a lot, lot, put a lot more thought into it. But that's what Valentine's Day does to us, isn't it? Turns us into, I don't know what, and all the stress is placed upon us. From Valentine's Day, a holiday. Wow, it's supposed to be rest and wonderful, joy, joyful time. And there's all this stress attached to it. Well, now we get to religion. Now, religion has a stress all its own, doesn't it? There's a lot of stress in religion. Millions go to temples, mosques, mosques, churches, and they try to get the gold medal of religion. Man, I want that gold medal of religion. Yet they're never quite sure whatever is good enough. That's the way life is. When have I done enough? What's good enough? So the pressure cycle continues. Am I good enough? Did I do enough? Did I mess up? What if I committed that impardonable sin? What do I need to do? Do I get enough? Did I do have enough good points to outweigh the bad points in my life? That's the religious pressure that we face every day. See, God gives us a no pressure invitation. I like that, and no pressure to compete for the gold. We don't have to do that with God, and I'm glad we don't have to because I'll tell you, it'd be rough, wouldn't it? I'd hate to hate to do that. You don't need to line up your achievements. You don't have to uh, buy him gifts. I'm glad we don't have to do that and wonder if your gift was good enough because that's the problem that we face. How, many, how do we know when it's enough? How do we know if we're good enough? How do we know what we're supposed to do? How do we know if we found the right ritual? Man, if I just had the right ritual, if I could just go in there and wave some incense or something, or maybe if I uh, wear a certain robe, or maybe if I, I say so many prayers, is that what it takes? There's pressure on us, even in religion. You're not nowhere we're free from pressure. <clears throat> the, the nice thing about it is Jesus is the one that took, got in the pressure cooker for us. He took all the pressure for us, so we don't have to worry about it. And I'm glad for that. I couldn't handle the pressure of the world on my shoulders. Some days we think we have the pressure of the world on our shoulders, but, man, we don't. We can't even imagine the pressure that Jesus was under, the pressure that he endured for us, so we didn't have to worry about the pressure of religion. We don't have to worry about the pressure of going for the gold medal because in religion there's only gold. There's no silver and bronze. And in God, and if you want to be in the kingdom, it's got to be gold. The streets are lined with gold. I don't remember any, reading anywhere about the description of heaven about silver. <laughs> Just gold. So gold is very important. In Ephesians, I forgot to tell you, Ephesians, the first chapter, if you want to turn there, we're going to read some verses there. A few minutes to turn there. <clears throat> See, I'm glad that God doesn't care about our money because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So what in the world could I possibly give God to impress him? I don't have enough money. I don't care how much money Bill Gates has. He don't have enough money to impress God. If God's making uh, streets out of gold, money of this world doesn't impress him. So we can't bribe him and we can't impress God with our gifts and all the efforts that we make to be able to be good enough. And I'm glad he doesn't require us to be good enough because he provided a plan for us. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. I'm reading this out of the Message Bible. So how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. 
what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're free people, we're a free people, free of the penalties and punishments chalked up by our, all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out because in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in the deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for, glory, for glorious living, part of all of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It is Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation found yourself home free, signed, sealed, and, sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installation on what's coming, a reminder that we get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Wow. See, God, we don't have to worry about going for the gold because Jesus provided it for us. He had a plan of salvation. He provided or planned before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, he had this plan of salvation for us. See, nothing catches God off guard. He knew exactly what was going to happen in the Garden of Eden, and he knows what's going to happen in the last days. Nothing's a surprise to him. And he prepared a plan of salvation for us that all we have to do if we want to go for the gold or get saved and find salvation and eternal life, all we have to do is come to Christ. We just have to come to the cross and say, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I'm a sinner. I know I am. I've done things that have been wrong. I've done things by, against man's standards, let alone God's standards. And all we have to do is say, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're coming again to accept me into your heaven. Because when we have that gold medal of salvation in our hearts, that's the key to admission. That's the only key to admission. It's not a ritual. It's not all our efforts. It's not our works that we can pile up and say, I did more works than you. I get to go to heaven. You've got to stay here. I'm glad it isn't by works because there's never, ever enough. No matter how many works we could do, it wouldn't be enough. And if works could do it, then Jesus wasted his time coming. All he'd have to do is give us a 10-point thing. You do all 10 of these things, then, hey, man, you're going to make heaven. That'd be a lot easier sometimes. But see, God doesn't ask, require that. He requires our sin. We have to be willing to confess it to him, and we have to be willing to turn our backs on it and go in a different direction. And we have to be willing to let God rule and reign in our lives. That gets us the gold medal. And it's not a religion. It's a relationship that we want with God. See, when I was born into my family, I didn't have to do anything for it. Hey, I just went, ah, here I am. I didn't have to do anything. I'd just be born. That's all we have to do as Christians. Don't have to do anything but be born. Now, there's a lot of kids in this world that were unwanted. But their parents loved them anyway. They weren't planned anyway. But they wanted them after they saw that first little, little eye open or whatever it is. But there are, were a lot of kids in this world that were, not, were unwanted. And a lot of children are aborted. But God, that isn't God's will. It breaks God's heart over those kind of things. But every person that is in here this morning and every person that's ever been born, God wanted. And God has a plan for every single person's life. 
And the plan that he has for us is better than we could possibly make for ourselves. That's the great news about it. And I'm thankful for that plan. See, and God made cute babies. Have you noticed that? I look at these little kids over here this morning. Man, they're just little darlings, little sweethearts, aren't they? See, God made cute ba babies cute so we'd love them. Now, I know I never had, there are some ugly babies. I've seen some. Of course, none of them was mine. <laughs> and none of them was yours, right? <laughs> they're the, all the other people's babies. But God made all of us in a, in a special way with a purpose in our lives. And he isn't going to ask me to do something I, he hasn't provided the ability for me to do. I know we as parents sometimes, if we have a, ki a child that's good in athletics and they excel in that, then we try to make the kid that follows in his footsteps to, into the same things, don't they? We try to make them get involved in athletics and those kind of things, and it puts a lot of pressure on them. But see, that isn't what God does. God has a specific plan for each one of us. And maybe it's in athletics, maybe it's not, maybe it's his painting, maybe it's singing. Who knows what God's plan is for our life? But he has a perfect plan for each one of us. And he gives us the things that we need in order to fill that, fulfill that plan. And I'm thankful for that. Ephesians 1, 5 and 7 through 7 says, Long, long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of this Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of the penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. Wow, hallelujah, we're free. And not just free, we're abundantly free. Man, I can't even imagine abundantly free. See, God does everything over and above anything that we could ask or think. He gives us freedom abundantly. He doesn't free us so he can be in bondage over here to religion. He freed us so we could be free to serve him, free to have a relationship with him. That's why he set us free. And he wants, to, wants us to be free so we can enter heaven. Because only free people get into heaven. And where God has freed us from all the pressure that we have in this life. We don't have to worry about it anymore because he took the pressure of this life for us. So all we have to do is just turn our lives over to him and say, hey, here it is, God, it's yours. If your life's a mess, say, here's my mess, Lord, take it. Make it into something, Lord, that can be pleasing to you. And God will do it because he wants to make us free. He doesn't like his kids in bondage. I don't like my kids in bondage. I don't like them so far in debt up to the eyeballs that they can't afford to do anything. Do you? Do you like to see your kids struggling with money and things, things that are going on in this life? I don't. Well, God doesn't like us to be in bondage either. And there's a different kind of bondage that, that God's freed us from. It's the bondage of sin and death in this world and in this life. And the pressure of trying to do it on our own. God doesn't want that. He, wa he wants us to come to him and remove all the pressure of our life. We don't have to worry about things because God's in control. And if we have to know that. We have to know that God's in control. And no matter what happens in our life, he's in control. So we don't have to worry about it and the pressure's off. There's a lot of pressure today to invest money into things that are insecure. But man, what do you know? how do you know what to invest in? You don't. Man, with this economy, you think you put it in the right place and then Enron shows up. And there goes people's life savings. Everything that they saved up for, man, it's gone. It's over with, just like that. So we're, we're struggling trying to get some kind of security for our future. But see, God provided security for us. We don't have to worry about the future because he's got it taken care of. 
We don't have to worry about anything. We just have to give our lives to him and let him take care of it for us. He took the beating for us. He chose death for us. He took all the pressure of, of, of our sin, the weight of his sin, when he died on the cross. He did that for us. So we could go for the gold because God gave us the gold medal. We just have to take it. Now, I don't care who the athlete is. If they may have won a gold medal, but they have, it doesn't belong to them until they stand on that podium and they put it around their neck. doesn't belong to them until then. And we're going to get our gold medal when we stand before God in heaven. And he's going to put it around our neck and say, Hey, welcome, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys I prepared for you. And I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the national anthem of heaven, aren't you? Hallelujah. I'm getting excited about that. I can hardly wait. Man, gay, I'll sing good. And if I get to play a musical instrument, I won't hit the wrong chords. So I'm excited about that. And we'll learn, learn a new song. We don't know it yet. We're going to learn it when we get there. But we'll know it instantly. And we can't help but sing and praise God when we get there. And we're going to be running and we're going to be shouting. Well, I am. I don't know about you. I'm going to be running and shouting. And I'm going to be hugging. I'm going to have a whole probably 1,000, 10,000 years just hugging. Hugging everybody. So I'm excited about that. It, it's really exciting time that God provided for us. See, we don't have to worry about anything because nothing is more powerful than God. A nuclear bomb, is that powerful, more powerful than God? A terrorist? A madman? A serial killer? Is anything, can anything uh, out, out take care of God, take him out? Huh. So what do we got to worry about? We don't have to worry about anything because our lives are in God's hand. And nothing can happen in our life unless he allows it. And if he allows it, he allowed it for a purpose. And so we got to just sit there and say, okay, God, I don't know what's going on. I just know that you're in charge. And I'm going to leave it in your hands and let you work it out in my life because I know that I don't have to do anything because you took the pressure for me. I don't have to have the pressure. We worry more than we have to. We worry about things that may not ever happen. If we invested as much time worrying, worrying, praising God, I guarantee our lives would change. Number one, the devil would probably leave you alone more because if you're going to praise God and, and worrying and problem situations cause you to praise God, he don't want you doing that, so he's going to do something else. So if you're going through something this morning, praise God. devil don't like praising God. So, hey, praise God more, probably have less problems. Isn't it amazing when you've, when you've had a wonderful day or something that if a problem comes up over here, it doesn't bother you? Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't bother you as much? But if you're having a bad day, it just seems like, man, just on top of everything. Just, well, see, the only difference here is their attitude towards it. See, the problems every day we're going to have, it's our attitude towards it. And so we need to realize that it's in God's hands. And we understand that, it removes the pressure. We don't have to worry about the pressure of that situation in our life. <clears throat> Ephesians 20 and 21, uh, 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He can do more than we can even imagine. And, you know, I can imagine quite a bit. How about you? You got a pretty good imagination? I do when it comes to gifts. Man, I, you know, I got a pretty good imagination of, about gifts and stuff that's going to be spoken upon me. Well, God gives us things that are above measure uh, that we can't even comprehend. And I'm thankful for that because it gives us a, a 
something that we can strive for because we don't need to strive as far as for pressure of things to do. But I want to serve God, and I want to praise God, and I want to be a faithful service. I want to strive to be faithful. I want to be faithful to God because he's faithful to me. See, this Valentine's Day, with all the pressure and everything that's going on, we need to understand that God loves us. God's in love with us. Now, there's a difference between being in love and love. You know that? If you're in love with somebody, that's kind of towards the first part of your relationship with that special someone. And when they call on the phone and your heart goes pitter-patter and all those other kind of things. And, man, you can hardly wait. And you sit by the phone and watch it and hope it's going to ring. That's being in love. See, that's God's in love with us. He sits by heaven's door, I believe, sometimes waiting for us to call. And we don't call. See, God loves us, but he's in love with us. And God is, is so preoccupied with us because he loves us. And we're the apple of God's eye. And we need to understand that. We don't have to compete for it. We don't have to search for it. We don't have to worry about trying to give the perfect gift. We don't have to worry about all the pressure going for the gold because it's already been provided. See, God's got the gold medal of love, and he wants to bestow it upon every one of us this morning. Our gold is in Christ. Now, it is Valentine's Day, and God sent us a valentine. Of course, part of the valentine's in here. But God sent his love. That's his greatest valentine that he gave us. But I wrote a little poem called The Valentine of Love. And it says, Valentine's Day is the time of the year when you say I love you to the one you hold dear. It's a time when love is the theme of the day. Yet, there's a love that some throw away. A love so perfect, so strong, and so true. A love so vast, so old, yet so new. A love that will meet our every desire if we will but trust in and cling to its power. This love is the love God has for man. A love unnumerable like the stars or the sand. A love so big the world can't destroy it. A love so understanding a child can enjoy it. This love can't be bought with silver or gold. You cannot obtain it through the land that you hold. This love isn't yours for the works that you've done, nor is it yours for the race that you've run. But this love can be yours with one simple prayer, saying, God, here's my sin, here's my trouble and cares. Then love, his love will forgive you for all that you've done, if you will but live for and believe in his son.